The whole idea really is to just try to build something that's of value. And if you can build something that's of value to people, then you can build a business out of it. And hopefully the kind of business that you're trying to make is something that can have some kind of positive impact on the world at the same time. That's the that's the kind of trifecta is to change the definition of capitalism such that it means you are uh, making money, you love your job, and you're having a positive impact in the world. That's Twitter co-founder Biz Stone. And this is The Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? What's going on? My name is Rich Roll. Welcome or welcome back to the show where I go deep and heady and long form with some of the most intriguing thought leaders and positive paradigm breaking change makers all across the globe. People who have devoted their lives to making the world a better place, all in the interest of helping you and me live and be better. Uh, If you guys would like to support the show, support the mission, there are many, many ways. But perhaps the single most powerful way that you can help is to just subscribe. It's totally free. So if you haven't done so already, please, please make a point of clicking that subscribe button on iTunes or on whatever app you use to consume podcast content. Uh, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And it makes a huge difference to us. So thank you. Uh, This week, I've got a fun conversation, a jocular conversation with the great Biz Stone, uh, a guy I think it's fair to say has had a huge, a massive impact on changing the world, uh, particularly on how we communicate and how we share uh, and spread information and ideas. Most people know Biz as one of the co-founders of Twitter. Uh, But interestingly, maybe a little ironically, Biz started out as a graphic designer crafting book covers. Uh, In addition to that, he was also an early evangelist of blogging, and that's what ultimately led him to join Ev Williams as an early employee of Google working on Blogger, the company Ev founded uh, and sold to Google. Uh, Biz would then go on to found a whole bunch of other companies or co-found a whole bunch of other companies, Zanga, uh, Odeo, which was basically a precursor to podcasting and the company that ultimately pivoted into Twitter, as well as the obvious corporation and Medium, the super popular blogging platform. Among his accolades, Inc. Magazine named Biz Entrepreneur of the Decade. Time listed him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. GQ named him Nerd of the Year. And he's one of Vanity Fair's top 10 most influential people of the information age. Uh, And despite the fact that Biz never finished college, he's a visiting fellow at the University of Oxford, uh, an executive fellow at Berkeley, the author of the humorous memoir, Things a Little Bird Told Me, and a very, very active philanthropist. Uh, Most recently, Biz launched something called Jelly, which is a social question and answer platform. It's sort of a new kind of search engine. We get into it in the podcast conversation. But basically, it allows you to ask questions and get answers, not a list of website links or URLs like you'd get with a Google search, but actually really good, helpful replies, responses from the people most well-suited to answer your question. And it's all coming up quick, but first... We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I 
love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem. A problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. 
Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. All right, so what's personally interesting to me about Biz, uh, beyond the obvious, I guess you could say, is that at this guy's core, he's really an artist, like a true artist behind all the tech, his career, his legacy. Biz is all about creativity. Creativity in the orbit of technology, of course, but moving past the code and the startups and the entrepreneurship, it's a creativity oriented entirely around how to better serve humanity, how to make the world better, uh, more connected and more empathetic. Uh, The other thing I really didn't expect about Biz is that He's super funny. I mean, like really, really funny. So this is a great conversation about all different kinds of things. We talk about conscious capitalism. Uh, It's a conversation about a vision of social networking as a powerful tool for global human cooperation. It's about putting astronomical success in perspective. It's about how to live in alignment with your values. Uh, It's about the birth and impact of Twitter, of course. And it's about what it takes to change the world, like really change the world. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Biz Stone. But they sell some, they really, nowadays people release on vinyl. Yeah, so the vinyl thing is like a like special a, Yeah, it's like a fancy, cool thing. thing. And it's like, they, how many do they print? Like hardly any. Right. And then it, then it's all done. But it's kind of awesome to have it. Yeah. yeah. As I have a record player. I have two, uh, teen, oh, I was going to say teenagers, but yeah. Can I drink this while we're doing the thing? Of course. Do whatever you want. You can take breaks. You can go to the bathroom. Um, they love their vinyl, though. Like my 18-year-old and 21-year-old, 20, like they just covet vinyl. So. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. The kids are liking it nowadays. Right. Uh, Maybe slide that up a little closer to you, the mic. I was going to... That's good. I wanted to show you something, too, because I I have a cool demo of this thing. What is that, Alexa? This is an Alexa tap. Uh Uh-huh. And if you want, I can... We built Jelly for this. Right. And what we did was, like, this thing is great at answering questions like, what's the time difference between here and here? Or, like, you know, what's 4 plus 4? Like, anything that a search engine could do. Mm -hmm. But... Jelly is good at the subjective. And so, or just like Jelly is good at the harder questions, which are like subjective questions that uh-huh. only a person could answer. And so I have this little demo that I can go through where I ask it a question and it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I ask Jelly it and then it, and then, and then it gives me a, a question. I mean, it gives me an answer that a person wrote. Right, and it just makes it like sound like this human thing. It's really cool. It's That's really cool. short. I'll ask you. Do it, it now. Yeah, could, just do it. You want me to? You want me so you, just are we recording? Are, are, are we actually doing a recording right now? Yeah. Oh, we are. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> so you're you're holding an Alexa. It's an it's it's a it's called it's called an Amazon Tap. Uh huh. And it's just a way. This is not a released skill. It's just it's a it's an example of how. Jelly works on like everything. It's going to work on everything. Right. It's so, just, it's an engine that works on, it happens to work on the web. It happens to work on mobile. It happens to work on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You never have to go to ask jelly. You can just ask a question with hashtag ask jelly on Twitter. We'll, we'll pull that question into the jelly engine. 
it will get answered and it will go back to you from the from our jelly account and you and just released that like just now right like yeah 10 minutes ago <laughs> and and so we're also exploring voice because i think with all these voice um things coming out like uh google home is coming out mm -hmm. and microsoft cortana and the amazon echo and there's another one too um i think sony's coming out with something like a lot of people are coming out with stuff because natural language processing has just finally gotten good just na even mm -hmm. just now it's gotten good enough so that we can talk to computers and they can understand us and computers can talk to us and we can understand them so that's why i, I think did you see the movie her yeah of course I th it's going to be like that. Right. You're not minus the whole falling in love with a robot lady. That might happen. I that would, could I ha would that, discount that. That might happen too. But if you watch the movie again, you'll see that everything he does, he's just do he's got this in-ear piece and he's like checking his email and doing all this stuff mm -hmm. all through voice. And I'm convinced that voice is the future. Like us staring at our phones while we're walking around and but even when we're driving and stuff is going to be like what you did our kids are going to my kid is four is going to be like you still walk around just looking down at a little screen like are you crazy but won't they be wearing like visual you know they'll be wearing headsets or they might like be contact lenses they might be wearing like, like uh goggles that put them in a fantasy land but they're still going to expect to be able to talk because when you want a question answered the 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 conventional sort of core assumption right now that everyone assumes is that you do a web search. Mm -hmm. And so the core assumption is that for every question, there is a document on the web that, that has your answer in it. The jelly assumption is totally different. The jelly assumption is for every question, there is a person who knows the answer to your question. Mm -hmm. So it's really a search engine for the best person to right. the, the thing the, the thing that's the hardest thing for us to do is find the person. So what we have to do is we have to elaborately categorize the question itself and then we have to know as much as possible about all the all, all of the people that sign up to be what we call helpers mm -hmm. so that we can properly route the questions to the helpers so that and it has to all be done in a way that where the people who signed up enjoy very much it's in it turns out it's in human nature to want to help other people a lot of people are asking me how how do you, you incentivize get, the people yeah, to do it bad I'm, advice or you don't need that. to you don't need to incentivize them because they uh it's built into our dna like we love to answer questions especially if we know them and if you can do it just right, so it's like kind of like game flow, the flow theory in gaming, you know, where it's like, it's not too easy and it's not too hard. And you're like, oh, I know this one. Oh, I know this one. And then people, it's been scientifically proven that the same amount of dopamine is released in the brain when you know you've helped someone as when you win money. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you, when, so what we do is after you answer a question and if the person who, if any person who reads your answer thought it was helpful and, and taps helpful, you get a note back saying that you were a helpful, and then you feel like a million bucks. You're like, uh -huh. oh man, 
they thought my thing was helpful. I'm, but ultimately, I'm a smart guy. How do you how do you end up scaling that though? If you well, still need that's to be the, directing, that, that's another trick. To... What we do is we have something called magic answers, and what that is is that's one of the ways that we're going to scale. And right now, that's it's growing every day. What happens is you ask a weird, obscure question, right? And it goes through our system, which our system is basically you ask your question, it gets sent through a filter because we, we want questions that a reasonable, reasonable person would want to ask. We don't let through yucky stuff, you know what I mean? And then, um, and then once it goes through the filter, it gets auto-tagged. And then once it gets tagged, it gets matched to the right person. And then the right person answers the question. And then the community marks that question as very helpful. And then it becomes what we call a magic answer. So the next time somebody asks a question like that, we just serve it instantly to them. So when you ask a question, you don't get like a, a whole bunch of results. You get one result, like one curated result. Well, what we do with magic answers is we give you three, three results. We give you one, and that should be the best one. Uh -huh. so, so the magic answers are basically a question very similar to yours, which the community, which has an answer that the community has said, great answer. So if you, if you, and, and it turns out, I used to work at Google. Most of people's questions are the same question. There's, there's less, um, there are less unique questions than repeat questions. Right. People ask the same stuff over and over again. But the answer out. might not be static. That that answer probably I know. needs to evolve over yep, time. Yep, we have right? a decay rate on the magic answers as well because mm -hmm. it, it, it takes into account like current events and all this other stuff. So there's a special decay rate there. But it's essential to scaling because if we always did a custom answer, then um, it would it would probably take too long. Like right. right now, what happens is the median time to a custom answer is about fifteen minutes. So that's and, pretty good. And people don't mind that because if if you're just trying to find out, like, hey, I want to go on a tr RV trip with my five year old and my husband to the Grand Canyon, and I've never done it before. Like, what should I know? Mm -hmm. You don't need that information in point three three seconds. No, you you're and just also, like you could waste hours like clicking on that's the whole know, idea. websites trying to find exactly what right. you're looking for and, and never you, quite hit and it. you end up on websites that are like everything's great because mm -hmm. we we sell the RVs and it's everything's easy and great and guess what it's not like what you want is another mom who's done it and says like okay here's the things right. it's a long drive you know and <laughs> all this whatever other things so. Um, you do all this research and you still don't really know like, oh, this document's five years old. I wish I could follow up with the person who wrote this thing and ask them a follow-up question. So anyways, where was I? The magic answers, what they do is that's, that's one way we're going to scale. We, um, we didn't have them when we first launched because we had no corpus. Mm -hmm. We had no existing answers. Yeah, I mean, it is a crowdsourced yeah. kind of... So, so so if there's a if there's a great answer to a similar to a very similar question, we give that to you instantly. And you're like, "Wow. Right. That was perfect in 0 seconds. Unbelievable. Love this love this thing." And if not, we give you a custom answer. Someone will write you an answer because they mm -hmm. want to, they signed up, they want to do it, they love it. And this is like a new iteration on something you started several years ago, right? Cuz I remember My, well, Jelly from a while ago and it was more like Cora or 
you know. No, it was more something like Jelly. That, right? A while the the first iteration of Jelly was was kind of this aha moment that um, you know they redid that study, the six degrees of separation studies. The mm-hmm. same guys redid it, and now it's four. Right. And that's your fault, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it was a combination of social and mobile that has gotten that down. And um, it's actually 3.8 and it's 3.6 if you're in the same field. But the um, I was just thinking, I was just sort of thinking philosophically with Ben, my co-founder of Jelly. And I thought, Ben, what if we had to build a search engine knowing nothing about indexing web documents or anything, even though Ben probably knows about that stuff because he's super smart. Um, I said, wait a minute, there's like, everyone talks about AI, but they don't talk about I. Like, so what we're doing essentially is AI in the service of I. Like, let's mm-hmm. try to use AI to get to I. So the first iteration was, Ben, I bet you, if we just sent a question to like, a hundred of your social media friends, either someone, one of them would know the answer or one, somebody that they, they knew would know, would know the, the answer. Yeah, like I got the guy. And everyone loves to like know the guy, like, oh, I got the guy, the, right. know the guy that you need to and talk so, to. And so, but what we did was we, we placed our bet purely on mobile and purely on social. And there was a big problem with that. Um, you, and also, even while I was working at Twitter, I noticed a lot of people asking questions on Twitter because they wanted their questions to go to people. They didn't want to find a document. Mm-hmm. They did want people. Um, so this is a thing already. People are using social networks to ask people questions. However, think about it this way. It's tied to your social identity. It's tied to the persona you've crafted on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Imagine if every single one of your Googles was a tweet. You, there's like not 90% of them you wouldn't do. Yeah. Um, Google the, traffic would go down substantially. I mean, exactly. And that was our problem yeah. was everybody knew, like, even, even just forget about health or really personal, like your love life or some health issue that you don't want people to know about or um, even just... Um, maybe some stuff that you know your network is chosen by you in, in the first place so um they might not know some crazy question about going to abu dhabi and like i've never been what do i need to know you self-selected those people so they probably don't know either um but the problem with the problem was you attached your queries to your social identity and so now there's a whole bunch of stuff first of all you have to think about it like mm, do i want do I want people to know I don't know this? Mm-hmm. Do I want want people to know I'm looking for this? Um, and is this even? Am I gonna get like less followers because this tweet isn't good? A f- I saw a friend of mine tweet. I'm sorry. Apologies for the lame tweet. But does anyone know about a good dentist in San Francisco? And she was right, like feeling, apologizing feeling for it. Feeling shameful because yeah, she I mean, all, yeah. And every every time you have a question, is this something that like the whole world needs to know about? Right. Like your self editing. Yeah, you have that, to self edit, so. which causes this friction. So that was our first bet, and it was the wrong bet because it just it for some things fantastic. Because well, what we did was we rolled up the social networks into one giant agnostic network. So. If you knew a person on Twitter who had a friend on Facebook, da 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 da, you know, we, we didn't care. We'd come back around you mm-hmm. somehow. 
Um, but it didn't work. So this time around, what, what we did was, it's still, we're still directing your question to a person, but your questions are all anonymous. They're private. You can mm -hmm. ask anything you want, and we don't attach it to your identity. And you don't need an account to ask a question. You just ask away. If you want to answer questions or mark things as helpful or have a conversation with the, with the person or do, do any of these participatory things on the system, that's when you need to create an account and a profile and stuff. But right, you're so happy about your profile because your profile says how helpful you are mm -hmm. and how many helpfuls you, what categories you're most helpful in and all this other stuff. But you've iterated out of it being conceptually, initially a social network yeah. into really what is a search engine. Exactly. People that, on the other side. Like that's the other thing. Bas we're, we're calling it a search engine, but it's fundamentally the core assumption is that there's a person Right. with your answer not a web document so it's like an alternate universe search engine mm -hmm. it's it it's completely it's not better than web search it's just completely different yeah it's totally it's i mean it, we need it's web just search a, it's it's kind of a, based on this hive mind premise like somebody in the hive knows the answer somebody knows everybody and, and i'd rather just have that trusted guy tell me the answer exactly. than read a bunch of stuff so in a certain way, you can look at it like an evolution of the search engine to a more naturalistic, it's funny like that, the AI kind of idea. It's funny it. that you said that because I actually printed it. We, we did a user testing thing the other day, and I printed out some of the stuff that the people said. Oh, wait. Oh, I don't have it. Oh, yeah. No, I don't have it here. But one of the, one, one of the things that people said was, it seems like an evolution on search. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And you, yeah, because I know you have like a Chrome extension. And yeah, that's the other be thing. able to like embed it into Twitter. So it's, you don't have to go to your website right. or use your app. It just is integrated everyone where is everybody already is already. Exactly. Because everyone's trained to go to web search. Mm -hmm. I mean, 20 years ago, there was, or 25 years ago, no web search. You just asked your friends. That's what people did. That's what people have done forever. They talk to their friends. Mm -hmm. And then uh, web search came along, and Google especially, and everyone turned to Google for everything. But it's not actually the greatest for everything. Sometimes you need a person. Sometimes, a, sometimes you're looking for the wrong thing. I, was at, I had a flat tire the other day, and I've had two flat tires already on this same car that, I've, that I leased. And the first time I went to this guy, and he was great. It was just one guy, and he was just, a, for 25 bucks, he patched my tire. And, and then the second time I got my tire uh, flattened, I went on the web and I found some place that I thought might be him because I remember, remembered he was in San Rafael. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't it, but it, it worked, but it was just like this big shop, and I had to wait two hours and stuff. And then... The other day, a few days ago, I got a flat tire, and it was it was a slow, slowly getting flatter tire, <laughs> so I had some time, and and I had no idea what the guy, what the name of this, the guy's place was, but I knew it was in San Rafael, so I asked on Jelly, what's the name of the place that fixes tires, and it's just a guy. And it's in San Rafael, and it's something like Bob's Tires. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's like wildly specific. I, I just, I, I didn't, it was something simple like that. I was like, it's just a guy and he's, and he's in San Rafael and it's something like Bob's tires. And, and that's what, all I had to go on. When you did that, what was your estimation that you were going to get that question successfully answered? Like, did, was, do you, were, you're well, thinking, well, this we, is a long shot or did, were you confident? Like, Hey man, my, my jelly thing is going to come. Through. I was, I'm confident because I can <laughs> see the, I see the numbers. 99% of our questions get answered. So that's pretty good. Um, so 15 minutes later, uh, somebody answered, are you talking about Tim's treads? Great spot. And I was like, Tim's treads, that's the place. Right. So I went, I had, I, my tire was flat, but not flat, so flat I couldn't drive on it. And so uh, I went to Tim's Treads, 25 bucks. It's, it's so like, it's, but I could have, I was Googling for Bob's tires. I was yeah. like, I could sit here and Google yeah, all yeah, day yeah. for and Bob's you're never, tires. And you're never going to find <laughs> you know what it. Yeah, it's, it's emblematic, you know, in a weird way of this evolution of, of the web, right? Like it became all about uh, WWWs, like where, what's your destination on yep. the web? And now, you know, this this new phase of moving past that as like media becomes disintermediated, it doesn't, you don't have to go to, you know, nytimes.com for your news. Like those news articles are spread wherever wherever you are. Right. So it's not about the destination and the brand associated with the information is less important than just the information. I know it's funny. I've even seen people credit Google images for an image. (laughs) <laughs> like they'll they'll write an article and they'll just say image courtesy Google Images, and I'm That's like that funny. doesn't really count. Yeah, but you but it's like well they did that's where i got they the picture pro- yeah, like they provided it you know yeah, so i assume that's that since they had it they and they didn't say i couldn't use it mm-hmm. you know um oh, not- i was going to give you a little demo of this voice okay. thing because it kind of goes back to what i was saying about 25 years ago we would ask our friends and Natural language processing has gotten good enough now we can ask our we can talk to our computers. I even saw a video um, that somebody posted on Twitter of a little girl like she must have been younger than two, and she went up to a um, black cylindrical garden light with a, it had a light on top, uh-huh. and she said, "Alexa, play Old MacDonald Had a Farm." <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't know what to make of that. Well, it reminds me of... Is this a good thing? It reminded me of when when kids were starting getting used to tablets, and there was somebody put out a video of a, a little kid trying to move a magazine picture around. Yeah. They thought like it was just a broken iPad. Like, right. Why or won't like this thing work? On a why isn't, is it not working? Yeah. And so that... But that little girl is sort of like an illustration to me of, yep, she's going to grow up assuming that she can talk to mm-hmm. her computer and her computer can talk to her. So let me, let me just demo this little experiment we did to see if Jelly would work great over voice. So to frame this up, ben and, I took Ben with me to Oxford, England, and he had massive jet lag. And I usually don't have jet, get jet lag, but his was so bad it was contagious. I got it too. So... I'm going to ask this device a question that it's really good at answering, and then I'm going to ask questions that it doesn't really know. And for people that are listening that don't know what we're talking about, it's it looks like a, a soda can that's all black, right? Yeah, it, it, it's made by Amazon. Yeah, it's a portable uh, Amazon Echo the like the smart lady inside is called mm-hmm. Alexa. Normally you have to say, Alexa, 
what how far is the earth from moon but with this one you just touch the button so i'm going to do that so so this is like after our trip to england so what is the time difference between here and london san francisco is eight hours behind london so she's great at that kind of stuff yeah. right I'll turn the volume up a little bit um but when i ask her this why does my head hurt sorry I didn't understand the question. Right, it can't extrapolate. From That's the her way of saying question. I don't know. Right, right. But, but but if I ask Jelly, watch this. Ask Jelly, why does my head hurt? The most common reason is because you are dehydrated. Drink at least two hundred milliliters of water an hour. Was this answer helpful? Sure. So. Excellent. Helping people feels good. So we made this little thing, <laughs> but, but, but check this out. Um, well, she says something different every uh -huh. time. The guys, one, one, well, let me, let me, th there's one more question that I, j I found it on Jelly and I just thought it was so great because it really anthropomorphizes this little device and it makes it seem like it's part of the family. And for anyone who has these things in their house, it does feel like it's part of the family because uh -huh. when, whenever somebody doesn't know, you just ask her, but for these kinds of questions, she can't do it, but we can step in and take care of it. So listen, to, this is a question that I saw on Jelly. Ask Jelly, is it a good idea to let my boyfriend and best friend move in with me? Honestly, this sounds like a bad idea. Would you like to hear more? Sure. Living with two of the closest people in your life can cause problems with either relationship and it's my personal belief that when you move in with your significant other for the first time, you should live exclusively together so that you can give your best efforts to this new step in your relationship. Was this answer helpful? Yes. Wonderful. Thanks for asking me. So, so it, right. she really she does everything in the first person because mm -hmm. people are actually writing these. So she's speaking in the first person. So it sounds like she knows all this. Right, stuff. exactly. So by simply prompting it up front by saying ask Jelly, uh, ask Jelly yeah. it immediately funnels it. And those were all magic system. answers. If, and, we, if we didn't have right, the answer, she'd right, right, say, right. "I'm sending it to some people, and I'll email you the answer." But as the receiver of that information. You don't know who the original, you know, person is that no, we answered that, right? Like you so said, you know, professor of psychology. We tried doing at, that. You know. We tried doing that, but it didn't, it wasn't as fun. It's way more fun when it seems like she's answering all right. the questions herself. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, it is like her, you know? It, it, it's she's getting like, weird. She's like, in my opinion, this is a bad idea. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, tell me more, you know? Does it do the same thing with Siri? We're trying to, but Siri is not yet quite as open. Uh -huh. We can't... Um, I don't use it. Like I, I, And then I'm like, how come when I'm in my car, I'm not just asking Siri? And maybe it's a generation thing. Like, I'm not acclimated to the voice yet. Yeah. Or it doesn't... It's, it's kind it's, of led I me think, astray in the past. I definitely like think I, it's coming. And it's going to yeah. migrate into the ear. And I use it in my car all the time. But honestly, it's not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it can... It's really only... What these devices are doing right now is they're they're either buying or scraping data from places like right. Wolf from Alpha has a bunch of data and and they can tell you how far the moon is from the Earth and all that stuff, but they can't tell you what color to paint your apartment. You can't show it a picture and say what is this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the beauty of the beauty of the search engine we've built is it's going to people, so you can just say like, is this poison ivy?
you are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. What is your take on the development of AI? Because at some point, conceivably, AI will be able to, you know, provide that kind of predictive response and, and nuanced, you know, answers that are tailored to the individual. I, I don't think it'll be able to do that without humans in the loop. There's something that but it will get to know you over time. Yeah, right? uh, but I think we still need people. There's uh, that my friend Joy Ito is now the director of the MIT Media Lab. I guess he's been there for a few years now, and he was he's telling me about human in the loop AI. Apparently, that's a thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's AI. Is there some acronym for that? Probably. <laughs> Probably some crazy thing. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, it's basically you take AI, but you, and this is what I, I guess we're in this category because what we're doing is we're using people to train our machines and our algorithms to like, oh, we recognize this question. Oh, oh, like this is this is the kind of answer that's better. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, da, da, da. and it just it it gets smarter with every use, and so. It's just infinitely better when you add people to AI. Right. If you just have AI, I think it would take hundreds of years before. It's like the difference between VR and AR. Like the integration of these two things together creates a little bit more complexity and nuance. Exactly. Right. More helpful for the end user. I mean, when you think about it, the web. The web is. It seems infinitely huge, right? Um, But how much of what you know is published on the web? How much of what any, any of us know is actually published on the web? We know 
way more than we've actually sat down and written to the web, right? So when you ask people stuff, they know so much more stuff than they've written on. I'm not going to write down random stuff I know on the web, right? Everything I know. Like, let me think everything I know. Like, it's only a person that can tell you when you ask, hey, where's the closest Home Depot? And they say, well, what are you looking for? And you're like, I'm looking for a three-quarter inch hoozy wutsy. Oh, you got to go to Ace for that. Like, those guys will help you out. Like, so the answer to where's the closest Home Depot is Ace Hardware. Mm -hmm. Go to Ace. You know, that. Right. But a machine will just be like, okay, here's here's the Home Depot. Here's how to get there. Here's where it is. Here's what the price of your hoozy wutsy is. Um but only a person can tell you, you know, don't go there, go here. Or, mm-hmm. like, um, where's Mission Street? Where are you trying to go? Oh, you don't want Mission. You want Second because they're doing construction. Right. I mean, there's a million and one reasons why so you how want many, a person. How many answers do you have logged now, and how many people are using this service? We just started three months ago, and Ben knows the those. Um, are the, the measurement were... The, me- the, the measurement we're sort of basing everything on is uh, answers served. Kind of like, how many answers have we served up right. to people? Like That's like the McDonald's thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like, how many times have we answered people's questions? Mm-hmm. And um, that's something like 30... Oh, no, it's something like 30,000 in the past three days. Right. Um, so I don't really... I'd have to ask Ben how many people are... are like fully registered and then and then there's registered like i'm a volunteer i can also answer questions and then there's just passive users who who come by and just do a search mm-hmm. and since we just got started and we just built web extensions and we just today launched a twitter um app uh it's growing it's just growing like i mean uh-huh. if you ask me in two weeks we'll probably be like quadruple what we are now ideally um there's something i wanted to say to you at the beginning of this that i didn't say because i didn't even know we were starting um because i thought you might be interested in hearing it which is i have a 1000 year um i have a 1000 year vision for humanity (laughs) all right um that's interesting for a lot of reasons, but go ahead. I, it's just, it's essentially, it's a picture in my mind of what I want humanity to be like in 1,000 years. I alone am obviously not going to get this done. Um, but what I do is, for everything that I do, I rewind from 1,000 years in that, in that future to now, mm-hmm. and I ask myself, well, what can I do to, to sort of help increment it even nudge it towards that direction and so i know how to make consumer applications so that's one of the things Mm -hmm. i'm doing um i'm doing other things too the the vision for the future it 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 clarified in my mind when i saw a flag uh the flag it was actually on this campus the the lucas um film campus there's a flag somewhere on this campus that is just a flag of planet Earth. It's not like the American flag or the uh-huh. German flag, but it's a flag of planet Earth. And that's and then it finally sort of gelled in my mind like, ah, yes, that's exactly it. So the vision is one of global cooperation, essentially. So it, 
if you can imagine, here's a bad example, but it's an example nonetheless. Google spent at least a decade figuring out how to build the most efficient, cheapest, energy efficient, totally awesome data center for for um, all the searches that go mm-hmm. on, right? And they hired all these genius PhDs in computer science, and they worked for 10 years, and they figured this all out, and they built it all, and it was fantastic. And then Facebook came along, and they had to do this. They had to solve the same problem again. They had to take take similarly genius PhDs in computer science, build the whole problem. Now, what Facebook's done has open-sourced that information and said, here's how you build a really great data center, which is fantastic, right? But if you took this metaphor and you um, extended it across everything, if you put it into medicine and space exploration and you name it, right? If everyone was just collaborating and saying, hey, we figured out how to do this, and then then we would free up all these people to say, like, okay, you figured out, now we're going to do this. We would get stuff done in a year that would normally take, right. like, 10 years. Right, right, right. And so, and and the side effect of global cooperation would be no more hunger, no more war, you know, no more uh, all of the bad things. Because in order to collaborate, you need to be friendly and collaborate. You know what I mean? So it's just this crazy, hallucinogenically optimistic vision of the future instead of what we... I'm a huge fan of sci-fi, and I, I challenge you to find... Any current science fiction uh, television series or movie that is aspirational, like Star Trek was Mm -hmm. back when I was a kid, that was a vision of the future where the world had gotten its act together and then they sent out these spaceships and they were out looking for other planets and stuff. And now everything's it's all dystopian, dystopian yeah. nightmare future with overturned cars and people like shooting each other yeah. for cans of chickpeas and, you know, zombies and everything's terrible. And I do believe to some extent that life imitates art. And if you and if you just keep pumping this into your brain, you're like, yep, there's going to be an apocalypse. Mm-hmm. That's Everything's going to be terrible. And if you do the other way around, if you give something to 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds that shows them, look at this bright future we could have, then they can go out and make it. Do you feel like being a parent uh, amplifies that kind oh, of yeah. intentionality? Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. Now, how old is your Jake? Is your son? Jake he's, is four, but he's uh, going to be five in November, so he's almost five. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't want him to, you know, I mean things do look like they're headed into a bleak direction right yeah. now. Yeah. So that but that's but if you if you <laughs> could thing is, if if you could if you can just it's kind of like faking it till you make it, you know? Like if you say we're going to have a great positive world in the future, then you might, you know? Well, it works on a micro level. If you it walk around saying I'm having a great day and my friends are the best and isn't everything awesome, then you you're generally going to have a better experience. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, so it's extrapolating on that idea to a global scale. Exactly. But there's there's some you know we have to overcome greed and ego and uh, you know power, yeah I know power Th- that people structures and all kinds of people things, push but, back on me uh, at me when they're like dude you're never going to have a world like that and like people are always going to be fighting. Over but why not go for and it? Stuff like that, and why not but, hold that 
hold that energy, hold that frequency. But I do, I, th- but I've seen it happen. I've seen people all come together and act as one. Unfortunately, it it only seems to happen during times of disaster and horrible things, like um, all the bombings in Paris, and all of a sudden everyone was saying, "My door is open for you. Come to my come into my home," you know, or or some supernatural storm, you know. Um, but it's always something terrible. It's but it, a bad it, thing. it's in, but it is inside us it is inside people to behave like this that hope and that optimism uh and that sense of altruism really kind of runs through your core and everything that you do i mean that's like a defining theme of jelly and a big part of yeah my previous work contribution to twitter and medium twitter it's It's like i've been trying to work towards this and jelly is the most uh, specific you know what i mean like um, Twitter and Medium are all about like, hey, let's open up the dialogue. Let's get free speech going. Mean, I mean, even back to when I worked on Blogger, it was, you don't need to know how to code in order to have a mm-hmm. voice on the web. And for and in some places in the world, that was all they had was a blog. And I appreciate the fact that your website is still a Blogger page. I know. You know that like, I, know. <laughs> I was looking at it the other day, and I was like, oh wow, like that's. I really Not only is switch that like, it to medium, but I'm old But it's school. cool. I'm I think it's school. no. It says a lot. I think. I think it's very interesting that you're still there, and I. I also think it. It shows like your sense of humor. Like you're funny, man. So when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, let's click on t- on the year 2000 and see what oh, this man. is yeah, talking about. And like, there's all kinds of craziness there. You're like. I wonder why, you know, they named pulleys pulley. Were they just lazy that day? And then like, it and pulls. Then you, but then there was one great post that you were like, you're like, uh, I had this dream last night that I was, like, this is the year 2000. You're like, I had this dream that I was fantastically wealthy. And I was I so remember wealthy. That post. And I, I had a great walking down room. a hallway and I opened it up and there were hundreds of people working in the laundry department of my house or something like that. And I was like, not only is that funny, it's like weirdly prescient, you know? And, I know. And, and so then I'm thinking about your 1,000 year plan, but I also see you as somebody who, you're not like the guy who sits down and says, this is my five-year plan or this is my one-year plan. Like you're you're going with your gut, like your instinct, yeah. right? That's, I've always done that. I've never, I've never based anything off of it. Like when we made Twitter, it was for fun. It wasn't like, we're MBAs and we're solving a problem. You know, there's a right. message. There's a lack of a kind of messaging system in the world right now. I mean, that wasn't. You know, you can go back in time and say, mm-hmm. yeah, we were super geniuses and we knew that this was be a thing. Um, but even when I was a little kid, like I had, I had a no homework policy at, in high school, and I just explained it to my teachers, no right. homework policy. Walk and, me through that because I think it's really funny. Well, I don't know how you got away with this, but I got away with it because. So here's what it was. I. I have been working since I was eight years old because we were on welfare. We're very, we, I, I was, my mother was adopted by a Swedish couple that lived in an affluent town west of Boston mm-hmm. and she inherited the house when they died. I never met them. And the way we stayed in that town is my mom would sell, my dad wasn't in the picture, but my mom would sell the house that we lived in every few years and get a cheaper house and, and pocket the money. 
mm-hmm. until in high school we actually had a dirt floor. We were in, I think it was <laughs> moving a, in the wrong direction. It was a, basically it was a it was a, a barn for horses, uh-huh. and they and we lived in it. <laughs> <laughs> But we fixed it up ourselves. But anyway, it's a, kind of an interesting way to finance your life without really I know. working. Well, because she didn't right? ha- she didn't yeah. really have a career. She had a high school mm-hmm. diploma. Anyway, um, so I had to work, right? I had to have a job, um, and I had created a boys lacrosse team, and. And I and the the boy the other kids voted me to be the captain, and I'm t- it turns out I was really good at it, mm-hmm. and so I had lacrosse practice too, and I had to do those things, and well, and I wasn't a particularly fast reader or fast math problem solver or anything. So when I got to high school, I tried to do all the homework that they gave me, and it was taking me to like three a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. after, you know, when I after I got home from work, which was like seven or eight. And then I was like, okay, scarf something down. Let's do all this assigned stuff. And I was and I was thinking, I tried doing it for a week or two, and I was like, there's no way I can do this. Something's got to go, and I can't quit my job, and I'm not going to quit the team that I started. So I went to each teacher. I, this is how I pulled it off. I wasn't a punk about it. I, I didn't just not do my homework. I went to each teacher, and I, and I said, excuse me, could I have some time with you after class? Sure. Uh, I would just like to tell you that I have a no homework policy, and they you, most of them laughed at me, and they were like, "Oh, do you really?" And I was like, "Yes, I have a no homework policy. Uh, I promise I will pay attention in class, full attention, but I don't do homework." And they, and they would laugh, and they, and they would, and they most of them said, "Okay." Well, that's going to affect your grade, and I was like, "I fully understand that. I just wanted to let you know." Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think it was the the way that I approached it by being like so sort of weirdly like, professional like, about it, right? Like, like precocious, like in an Alex Keaton. Yeah, like way. they, I like I was like I totally understand if you needed, you know, lower my grade a little bit. I'm fine with that, but I just can't do the homework. And uh, and so I got <laughs> not a, even like I'm gonna try, but I don't know. Like, no, no I, it's just not. I'm not, not gonna absolutely do it. Not gonna do not it. Not gonna do it at all. And I never did. I never did the homework. And I rem- I distinctly remember my friend Matt Flanagan was. Um, he tried. He was really good at school. He tried. I mean, he because he worked really hard at it. You know, he was always studying, and he's he got nervous about quizzes and tests and everything. And he had this huge backpack. It was like gigantic and the, the straps were like coming off because there's so many books in there and I remember I distinctly remember one day um kind of blowing his mind because I dumped my books in my locker and I just slammed it closed mm-hmm. and I, I had no backpack or anything right. and uh and Matt was like what are you what are you doing where aren't you bringing your books home and I, and I said no I have no homework policy and he was like, you, you can't do that. I was like, Matt, it's America. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and, and then I just like slammed the locker and left school. And I, he, I, he just lo- had this look on his face like, what? What the hell's going on here? Anyway. And, and did it catch on with other, did other students try to pull it off too? Did you I, create like a I didn't, little movement? I didn't go around like advertising that. that I had a no homework policy. So um, And you still ended up graduating. I mean, you must have gotten like when it came time to turn your homework in and the teacher's like, all right. No, they, they, well, they all knew right. I didn't do it. And also, 
I did. I did. I I held true to my promise. I paid attention very keenly in class. I, my, I mean, I to this day I still think like when you're at school you should be at school, and then when you're at home you should be at home. Like I don't. I couldn't agree. I don't more get this that. whole concept of like you're yeah. at school and then you have to be at school at home too. I and mean, we could talk for six hours about what's wrong with our education. I mean, well, system, nowadays they're. But- also, I don't think the teachers were talking to each other because the geography teacher would be like, okay, read 12 chapters. Right. And the math teacher would be like, do 100 problems. And, and I was like, you guys really need to get together and figure out how much homework each of you is giving uh-huh. us because there's like eight of you and you're right. all assigning us. A, <laughs> you know, like someone should work this into a system. But what I get out of that is is an independent thinker at an early age, right? Like you're, you know, most, most kids, like you just, you do what you're told. You show up, this is what everyone's doing. Yeah. And it's not like we're all being, you know, brainwashed, but I guess on some level we are, but to have like the spine and the self-confidence and the, you know, that streak of, of, you know, punk rock or whatever it is that was inside of you to stand up and say, yeah, everyone's doing that, but I'm going to do this over here and just yeah. be like cool with what everyone thought about that like is an interesting <laughs> you know kind of like uh look into you know the character yeah and I, i'm not i'm not really sure where i got that but um i do remember in third grade i got a i got a special award for artist of the month um because i noticed that the teacher noticed me and in third grade that it was time to draw and they were like okay draw whatever you want and I distinctly remember um, thinking, like, well, what should I draw? Like, I don't see anything very interesting to draw. And so I, what I did was I, I went, I laid down on the ground, and I looked at the door from the perspective of laying down on the ground and drew the door that way so it uh-huh. would look all weird. And, um, and I, I remember noticing her noticing me do that. And I was like, ah, I think, I think I'm doing something that she didn't expect me to do. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> right. Just like drawing, you know, like, drawing oh, he's not just lines. drawing it. He's doing some weird thing. He's right. like doing something else. And so like real art as opposed to, and then I had to, art. and then she was like, okay, you're artist of the month. So we need to put a bunch of artwork up on the hallway. And I was like, I don't have a bunch of artwork. So I did a bunch of crappy artwork. Mm-hmm. And then, then I was sorry. I was artist of the month. Cause I was like what can I draw really fast that will look like, I was like, okay, grapes, circle, circle, circle. But being artist of the month at such a young age, did that plant the seed? Nah, I don't know. I think people don't, you know, it's, people don't, I think a lot of people don't really understand or realize like that's, art was your thing, like design. Yeah, that was my thing. This is your entry point. It's not like you were like wanting, getting an MBA and wanting to go be a startup entrepreneur. I did tell my mom when I was a little kid that I was going to graduate from Babson College and then be a businessman and um i actually got an honorary doctor of laws um Uh and did a commencement speech at babson and i guess i'm technically a businessman now so (laughs) i didn't lie your mom happy i didn't lie but i um but no yeah i decided to be an artist mostly because i said i was because i uh we, I, I got an opportunity to go to Spain. With my friend's mother was a professor, and still is, a professor. She's Armenian, but she's a professor of Spanish at Wellesley College. Mm-hmm. And I got an opportunity when I was, I don't know what it was, like 18 or 17 or 18, to go for free to Spain and stay a week 
in the dorms that the girls were going to stay in later. And um, we were walking around, uh, checking, I don't know where we were, we went to some caves and stuff like that, and uh, then we met some other, we met some girls, and uh, they were asking us what we each did. I can't remember if it was called. How old were you? I, it, I think it was just when my... <laughs> I think it was just when some of my friends were going to college. Uh-huh. So my friends all had this great answer, like, oh, I'm, I'm studying this at Dartmouth, and I'm studying this at, you know, I, I'm a wrestler scholarship guy uh-huh. at, at Boston College. And I was like, oh, no, what am I going to say when it comes to me? Because I got nothing going on. And, uh, and they were like, what about you? And I just said, I'm an artist. Uh-huh. Because I figured that'd be a good catch-all. Like they don't know what. Like right. I could be great. Like and, girls love that. Too. And and also they were like, oh, that's the most <laughs> yeah, interesting one. And I was like, yep, huh. yep, I'm that's sticking what I am. with that. I'm, it and becomes and a self-fulfilling. After prophecy. that worked, I was like, yep. yeah, that's artist what I, of the month I'm in third grade. I'm definitely an artist. Uh-huh. And uh, it worked really good. I actually, um, in my like, a- after I. Anyway, I ended up becoming an art, a professional graphic designer. Right, you got involved in like desktop publishing yeah. early on. I got a sort of a lucky break, and, and um, yeah, and I was good at designing book covers. And then, and then I went on to do freelance work, and I quickly found out that like I wasn't going to get enough book jackets to design mm-hmm. to pay the for highly anything. lucrative world of book yeah. jacket. Uh, Actually, design. I design. I my. Do you design the cover for your own book? I I sort of did. I, I I mocked it up and I said, not for my paperback. By the way, uh. we used to joke at when we when we designed covers in the art department at Little Brown. We used to joke about how bad it was to put a light bulb on an idea on a book about creativity, <laughs> and that's what they did. <laughs> I was like, this is literally a joke. That. It's a joke. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, the. Uh, but for the um, hardcover, I just said, "Why don't you know? Just do have a do a tone picture of me with it, like whatever." I did that. But um, what was I talking about? Oh, art being an artist. Oh, so so after after I went out on my own, um, there wasn't enough work, and somebody came to me one day and they said, um, "This was the '90s, like late mid mid." ish 90s like 97 maybe somebody came to me and they said we have a five thousand dollar budget do you do do you build websites mm-hmm. and i said of course of course what it was might- it going right for the for like a book cover at the time uh, i think it was like bucks. not well if it was a if it was a university publisher yeah it was like yeah. a few hundred bucks if it was like a real deal freelance for a, an actual book um you could get like a thousand bucks right I actually helped design infinite, the cover of Infinite Jest. You did? Yeah, but what I did was I made all the mistakes because back then we had to we had to it, you had to design the whole cover, not uh-huh. just the front, right? Uh-huh. So you had to right. do the flaps, yeah, yeah, the back. Yeah, yeah. And back then what it, what they did was they they gave you the copy on in paper and you had to type it in. And I I typed it in. I, my mentor was the guy who designed the cover, and mm-hmm. I did the Photoshop of the. I photoshopped the clouds in mm-hmm. and stuff, and uh, and then years and years later, a friend of mine was like, "Check it out! I got a first edition Infinite Jest, and it's worth money because it has these mistakes on it." And I was uh-huh. like, "Hey, I made those mistakes." <laughs> <laughs> 
That's pretty cool, though. I know. I was like, I mean, you know, I didn't know it would be a claim to fame. History, yeah. But um, but websites are. So what happened was some guy came to me and said, "We have five grand and we need a website. Do you do websites?" And my immediate answer was yes. And then I had to figure out how to do websites. And I did a terrible job, but back then it didn't really matter. They were like, look, my boss just says we need a mm. website with pictures of us and bios underneath mm. us, so whatever. And I would just, I was like, okay, I'll just mm. figure it out and do that. And and then my friends graduated from Dartmouth and they wanted to do a web startup. It was Back in the day, it was that vague. Like, let's do an internet company. Company, yeah. <laughs> that was the idea, internet <laughs> company. And so... We ended up building, I ended up going with my gut and saying we should build a social blogging network because it was, we were we were building something else. It was like, the original idea was uh, catalog your collection of books and CDs and write reviews about them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any books or CDs. I didn't own anything. And we were starting this in New York, and uh, I was, like, paying my rent with my credit card. And I was just writing inside the little form where for the review of the CD, like, funny things that happened to me, my cab ride and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then Blogger came out, and I was like, that's it. Just write whatever you want. Let's do that. Uh-huh. So we added weblogs to our list of things you could write, and that then it, it took off like crazy. And I thought we were way better than Blogger because Blogger you had to had you had to FTP it, you had mm-hmm. to have a server and all this crap. And I was like, no, all same place. You write and you read your friends' blogs. And then I invented this thing called eProps, which were like little Super Mario Brothers coins, and you could give somebody an eProp if mm-hmm. you liked their post and you were too lazy to write a. Um, comment all these little like details and things that are so they're, similar ba- they're to like what basic ultimately and yeah, yeah it's it was like, like a like a thumbs up or a, yeah, yeah exactly and even looking at your your blogger page like a lot of those old posts they're only a sentence or two or something. i know it almost looks like a twitter feed. well i actually tried in 2002 i made a web service called side blogger uh-huh. and the tagline was for the short crappy posts that aren't good enough for your main blog yeah and it was just a bit of JavaScript you would put in your sidebar, and you could go to sideblogger.com, and you could type in, like, I'm watching TV. And uh-huh. it would just show up over there. And we had, like, a couple hundred people started using it, but then I got a cease and desist from Google. It was really just someone on the yeah. Blogger team, but I was scared enough to just take it all down. Right, because Google had bought Blogger. By yeah, that, they, they had point. just bought it. About three months after they bought it, I went to work there. Right, so you had started... It, Ev comes on the scene, you start reading his posts. And, oh, as soon and as you're kind of watching, we Blogger were using develop. Pyra, which was the group soft the group That's the coding software. Uh-huh. No, no, Pyra was a it was like Slack today. Ah, uh, okay. It was it was how you could work um, with a remote team, and that's what Ev had built, Pyra, and Blogger was a side project of Pyra, and so. My team at Zanga was using Pyra because some of us weren't living in New York. And so we were among the first people to see Blogger. Uh-huh. And so I immediately was like, this is what we're going to do. And I was reading Ev's blog and I was like, man, I agree with this guy. Like up and down and sideways, you know. And uh, I was a big follower of his blog. And, um, and then 
later after they got acquired. And this is before like blogging was a thing. It wasn't like people were talking about blogging. No, you could right? like count like, the number of web it blogs. Was just guys like you that like knew what was going on. Yeah, there, you could you knew who everyone yeah. was. I also made a, I took a, an engineer from Zanga and we on the side we made, I I said let's make um let's make a blog search engine just index the blogs as they be, as they come online. And um, it was called blogsearch.com. And, um, Is this like pre-RSS? Yeah. And uh, I was like, if we start now, and, and if weblogs become as popular as I think they're going to be, we'll, we'll have like the, the place to go. And um, then one of my friends that I started the company with was like, what are you doing? Shut this down. We don't have time for a side project. Too bad. It would have been a whole thing. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. So yeah, in 2002, I did that thing. It, it's almost like I was trying when I and then even when I went to Blogger, we did something called Blogger on the Go. We even had a jingle for it. It was uh, I had a guy do a, like a song. It, it was um, it was called it went like this: snap a photo and type some text, send it to Blogger, and we'll do the rest. <laughs> the idea was it was it was it was pre-smartphones because it was 2003 mm-hmm. when I joined. And what you did was you would take a picture with your feature phone and you would like say something. And I even had a little comic that explained it. It was a lady and she was taking a picture of a UFO and her text was OMG UFO. Mm-hmm. And and then what it did was it automatically created a blogspot blog with that picture and that text. Uh-huh. So it was like two times I tried. But like Steven fun, Johnson yeah, writes like, about and the fun and not precious. Yeah, just stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. And um Steven Johnson in his book, Where Good Ideas Come From, talks about something called the slow hunch. It's like something you don't even realize you're thinking about until something enables it to finally happen. So I think Twitter was just the right time, the right place, the right people. Um, And then the iPhone came out, which just changed everything for us. That's all about time, you know? Great timing. And SMS coming in right we were at the just, moment where this idea was percolating. SMS at, in 2005 when we, when we <clears> started. Because start, audio is a good idea, but the time was wrong. Way too early for po- yeah. for podcasting. And and um, and uh, and then in 2005, in 2004 or five, the carriers decided that they would allow text messages to go from like Sprint to Verizon before it was siloed. And... The U.S. wasn't doing text messaging as much as Europe was. Mm. And so we started fooling around with text messaging. Like, oh, text to a text message can show up. We, we can make a text message show up on the web, and we can type in a web form and make it show up on a phone. 
it's so weird now. And then the iPhone came out. We're not texting, at the, and it wasn't that long ago. I know it. It doesn't seem like it was a long time ago, actually. And yeah. we're talking about like well, like There's, 2004 to yeah like, it, around then, right? Yeah, I know that. To me, that seems like two years ago, but it's 2016. Right. There's people who's lived their whole lives, and <laughs> they've always yeah. had. Um, uh-huh. Like, there's people who's, who've lived their whole lives, and all they've thought was, like, the, uh, the president of the United States is either black or maybe a woman. Mm-hmm. And that was, right. like, his, a huge historic thing. Anyway. Um, right, so you connect with Ev, though. Like, yeah. Ev's, Ev's your guy, and you're just you're my figure guy. out a way to, like... I came out. I came out to him. work with Ev. Like mm-hmm. I, when Blogger got acquired, I sent him an email. I didn't know him at all. He sent him an email because I've been reading his blog forever. Uh, by that time, my first company, Zanga, xanga.com, had sort of just run out of money, and I'd racked up huge debt. And I, I went back to Boston, and I got a job working at Wellesley College through my friend's mm-hmm. mom. She gave me a hookup, and I was doing stuff there. And um, I wrote him, I wrote Evan note, and I just said, congratulations on your acquisition, and also I feel like I'm the missing member of your team. Right. And, and then, to my surprise, a couple of days later, he wrote me, do you want to come work here? And I was like, holy crap. Right, you're just psyched that he, like, read it. Yeah, I couldn't... You didn't expect he would even... He would respond. Yeah, so he pulled major strings. Because back then, in 2003, they were not... Google was hiring PhDs from Stanford. Like, they, I was, I didn't have a college degree. And was... I had was, written a couple of books about, like, the future of blogging, how important it is and stuff. And there was no social part of social media back then. Like, all the guys on the blogger team were pretty much nerds and... And inside the the, the Google, like, umbrella, was blogger a priority? Where did it no fall way. in the pecking <laughs> no order way. of, like, what was important? To, you know, it, well, I don't think it, it wasn't... On. Nobody even pecked it. Yeah. Like, they were they're on... like, their, in the basement somewhere. They got acquired and they were still on their own servers. They were like, I thought we were going to get on some mm-hmm. good Google stuff here. We're still breaking and going down all the time. Uh-huh. And uh, they... They were placed in a windowless conference room together and all told they were contractors. It was Google's second acquisition, and, and the first one was not, it didn't have people. Uh, it was just an acquisition of a bunch oh, of wow. data. It was the first time they actually were bringing. And the funny thing is, when I went to work at Google, I wrote a blog post that was a jokey post. It, it was a fake press release. It yeah, said, you had to break the news to Genius Labs yeah, that, that exactly. you were going to be bringing your enterprise west. So I, I wrote a fake press release that says, like, it, it said, like, um, Boston. And, and it said... In all caps. In all caps, like a real thing. And it said, uh, Google acquires Genius Labs for an undisclosed sum. And I, and I just made it, and I got a quote from Ev, and I made it like a... It was just a blog post, but I made it look like a press release. And the funniest thing is that um, somehow that got into Wikipedia. And, and then right after somebody put it in Wikipedia, um, the New York Times decided to do a list of companies that, um, 
that uh, Google had acquired so far, and it was only like there was, they had acquired one more after Blogger or something. So they, some, somebody must have looked on Wikipedia, and because you need a citation to stay on me, Wikipedia. Yeah. So it, it and so it was, it was so release. quick that that now there was a citation <laughs> because it was in the New York Times. Uh-huh. So to this day, if you look at like if you Google for blo- um, Google's acquisitions, Genius, Genius Labs, Labs is like their exactly. third acquisition or something. <laughs> It's still there as a, like a legitimate thing. That's so great. Because like, unless somebody knows you, they don't know that you're joking. How would you know? Right? I know. So, well, a lot of people thought uh, probably thought I was a total jerk because I called my blog Biz Stone Genius. Right. It was obviously meant to be sarcastic because <laughs> if anyone had read my blog, it was mostly stupid stuff. Uh-huh. Anyway, I went to work. I went to work for Ev, and um, but you go and work where it, it, you really are. You are being acquired by the real Genius Labs. Yeah, like I actually went. It was it was funny. It was like I went right? to the real. It was like going into the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. There was like that was the real deal, you know. And um, the thing for me that was crazy is I didn't meet Ev until he picked me up at the airport to go work with him, and I'd never met him. Oh, and nice um, and. Uh, it was it was just all a complete surprise to me that he had also been reading my blog and I was like oh that makes sense but I'd never I didn't think that he thought a bit about me right but apparently he had seen something in me that I think he s- somehow saw the future of social media and he and he thought like well this is a guy that can bring life to a brand like and because that was kind of my job was to Make, make blogger a little bit more mainstreamish, uh-huh. you know, like try to make it like, hey, everybody can have a blog. I got all of Google blogging. At first, they were like, no, no blogs. And I was like, why no blogs? Everyone's here is super smart. Don't you want to attract more talent? You should get these guys blogging. So one of my claim to fame, claims to fame is I got my cat on the, on the official Google blog yeah. um, because we <laughs> launched photos in blogger and i was like for example you can post a picture of your cat and i was uh-huh. like yeah I got it. so the whole cat meme thing started with <laughs> no, that i don't think it did <laughs> yeah. but i was able i i was able to do that and um actually after i left google they forgot to take me off the official google blog for like four years i could have posted anything that's funny i could have been like google acquires I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I, I didn't do anything. But, but you quickly figure out that like Google's not the place for you, right? Well, like, no, just, it was. It was a great place. Actually, it worked out perfectly because they try. What they did was, I somehow that Ev went through all these machinations to get me to work there, because they weren't. Larry and Sergey were like, no way, mm-hmm. he doesn't have the creds, and and Ev was stalwart. And so uh, he, at the time, they said, okay, fine. Um, what was his name? He was the director of. He was the director of engineering at the time. Um, darn it, his name is... I'm, I'm forgetting his name. But they said, all right, let's let him talk to this guy. And if, if, if this guy li- likes him, then we'll, then we'll just hire him. Yeah, Fine. Yeah. And so you'll stop bugging us. And so that guy called me, and we talked for 45 minutes or so. And I explained to him that I didn't graduate college because I instead had a mentor and I learned graphic design and I did blogging and I, I wrote a book about blogging and I'm doing I, I had a I was writing a second book about blogging and I really love it and I think it's the future and that guy liked me so that uh-huh. guy apparently gave me the thumbs up genius and, lab certified yeah and then he quickly um, as I joined he quit <laughs> so mm. um, anyway what happened was I worked for Ev 
But Ev wasn't my boss. Uh, they, the, the way they got me in was I somehow worked for AdSense, and, uh, it, which was some other building, mm-hmm. but I never even went there. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, they tried to give me bosses. Like, they were like, this is your new boss. And the, he was like, okay, let's, um, let's write down your objectives and key results. That was the thing they had, OKRs, objectives and key results. And I was like, okay, uh, I don't know. Like, I just do, I was like, I just do stuff. I, I like, write stuff on the what blog. What were you doing? I was writing, what, what I did was I decided to turn, I decided to make the blogger support, the, the kind of weak-ass blogger support section into a product called Blogger Knowledge. And, and, I, wanted, and I, I wanted to, like, fully flesh it out. I wanted, I, every week I did a really big blog post about all the different things you can do with Blogger. Just and, making it easier for the average person. Yeah, I want to mainstream it. You know, like, look how easy it is. Look what you could do. You could have a wedding thing. You could do this for this, you know, whatever. Here's how you could use an education. I was trying to make it a broader thing, trying to give it a brand and, like, and make it seem accessible and not for the nerds. And this, the first guy was like, okay, what are your objectives and key results? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, okay, how about they're this? And he wrote down a bunch of stuff. And then three months later, he was like, okay, so how do we do? And I was like, I didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> and uh, he got red faced and really angry. And I was like, oh, you wrote it down. I didn't even. <laughs> and he was just pissed. And he recommended I got f- get they fire me. Uh-huh. And then um, they were like, all right, settle down. You're not his boss anymore. We're not going to fire him. And then, and then. How many people are on the blogger team? Uh, there was like 12 uh-huh. people. or No, there was like eight people. And then there was slowly it got a little bit bigger. Um, I was only there two and a half years because right. I left when I've left. But um, it was funny, though, because it's just I, all, all I did was really piss off. The only bosses I had ever had was my mentor, Steve Snyder. And um, he was less of a boss and more of a mentor, you know. And you had you had made this move to work with Ev, but then right. Ev wasn't even really there, right? No, no, like, he was, was there. Was he around? I worked. Yeah, I sat. We saw we, all the blogger guys sat in a pit together, uh-huh. and uh, and, I, and I was working with. Ev, I felt like Ev was my boss, even though he didn't like manage me or anything like that. He just let me do my thing. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "This is why I wanted you here to do your thing. So do your thing." Right. And then and I was doing then, my thing. Then and, Ev splitting. Well, and then they try, but AdSense people were trying to like put me in a bucket. They just couldn't. They just got really frustrated with me. Finally, just as Ev left, um, they decided. They said, "Okay, uh, here's what we're gonna do. This this director of engineering guy is gonna be your boss." And he he met with me and he said, "I'm gonna be your boss." I'm not ever going to check in with you. We're going to give you the maximum bonuses. And you don't have to tell me anything about what you're doing. I don't care. And if you have a problem, just come to me. And I was like, Mm. great. And he was like, great. I'm glad you're happy. And so I didn't have anyone. I had no responsibilities. (laughs) That sounds pretty good. Except for, but I did, you know, I still wanted to do stuff. Um, And then I quit, which was because Ev left. And we had had this idea in the car ride home. From Google, we had, I had this idea. I was like, Ev, you can record your voice in the browser. Because we were doing this thing called Audio Blogger. Mm-hmm. And it was record your voice in a, in a browser and then press, using Flash, press play, and your voice would play in the browser. And I said, but wait, if, we, the, the, if you can record your voice in a browser 
and these iPod things seem to be seem to be catching on like big time. Could we write something that converts the Flash into MP3 and then write something else that syncs that to an iPod? And Ev was like, "Holy shit, we could." Mm. And I was, and then I was like, "Is that a thing? Could we democratize radio, like, like web weblogs democratized, like making web pages?" And he was like, "Holy shit, we can!" And um, that's kind of the that was the beginning of Odeo. And um, right, and his neighbor was already working on it, right? Yeah, Noah on. Glass was his neighbor. He was the one who was doing Audio Blogger, mm-hmm. and um, for us, and uh, and so we all started Odeo. And um, and just to put a pin in that, I mean, you when you walked away from Google, you you had shares that were not vested. I mean, you literally you walked away from a couple million bucks. It was all tough. you had to do was ride it out. It seemed pretty I know. cush. I could have been I could have been a millionaire. And that's that thing of like this. I think that's the same thing in you that that you know made you the no homework guy. Like there's this. Well, I had to ask myself. Well. I had to ask myself, I joined Google and I was massively in debt, mm-hmm. massively in debt. And Google, I mean, Google wasn't paying a lot of money salary wise because they thought their equity was like the way to go. So, and I had to get my mom a house because she finally, she's, she couldn't, there's no more houses to sell. Yeah, what she did was she <laughs> went anymore. to, she went to Florida and bought four uh, condos and then, and then everything housing market bombed. Yeah. Mm. So. I had to get her house and I was in debt and I was paying for everything. And, and so I quickly started racking up more debt because my wife was working full time at a wildlife animal, wild animal hospital, mm-hmm. but that was volunteer work. And, um, so we, I, again, just like, I got to zero, it. I got to zero while I was at Google and then I, and so I got to zero and I could have stayed and I could have had a couple million more bucks. Um, I but I had to ask the question. Stick it out, and you could buy your mom a house. That's a tough decision. I, 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 I what I did was I asked my wife. Like, I, I just felt like something was off because I said, "Why did we move out here? Did we move out here so I could work at Google, or did we move out here so I could work with Ev?" And the answer was, "So I could work with Ev." It wasn't. I I wrote Ev. It wasn't that I wanted to work at Google, even though it was great. And since Ev left, I was like, ah, I got to follow Ev. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a choice I've made consistently throughout my life that I realized um, when people, after I wrote this latest book that I wrote, that people would ask me, like, why did you keep quitting and doing these other things when you had these cushy situations? And I was like, why did I do that? And I realized every move I've ever made was I was following a person, not an institution or money or anything like that. It was always the I was, people's always the, the people has always been your thing. Yeah, I, and that's I, that's the core of jelly, right? Right. It, all, it goes back to people, connecting people, and I my. It turns out one of my hobbies is helping other people. Like I like to solve problems and help people get out of their situations, bad situations. Um, like even just this weekend, my friend was, um, ho- my friend was participating in a fundraiser for his kid's school and i went to the fundraiser to help raise funds and he was manning the jumpy house 
Like, that was his job. And I was like, Jay, your line is crazy. These kids are sweltering in the heat. We got to get this. We got to make this thing move. We got to we gotta put, get a system in place here. So I got like a whole system in place for 10 kids at a time, three minutes each. You know, get them out as soon as possible. Do a one-minute warning. Make sure that the shoes are off for the next 10 kids and the whole thing. So I actually just enjoy, like, helping people and, and solving problems and stuff. So for me, jelly is, like... The perfect thing, right? Like and even and even throughout your tenure at Twitter, I mean, those skills I think seem to <laughs> seem to have been critical at moments. You know, there's been so much made of all that kind of you know political machinations. Yeah, I was always just trying to. That, I basically you know. was always just trying to help my friend. Mm-hmm. It seems like you've come out of that. I mean, we haven't even tracked through it uh, linearly yet, but. You know, it seems like you've come out the other side of that with intact relationships with everybody. Yeah, and, well, and my the, the key was I was never really mean that. about it. I was never uh-huh. mean to anybody. I never said bad things. I made a decision back when I was in high school based on one thing that happened, that I was always going to be nice to people. And the one thing that happened was this girl in my art class asked me if I liked her painting. And I said, God, no, it's awful. It looks like a drippy mess. And she and and then she I horrified her. She was terribly upset, and I was like, "Oh my God, why did I say that?" It was true, and it's exactly what I thought. But I was like, "That well, I didn't need to say that. That was terrible of me." So then I decided from now on, I'm just going to be really nice. And, and you can be a successful startup entrepreneur and business person and still be in. Nice yeah, there's person. a flip side. You don't have to like you don't have to denigrate another person to in order to highlight someone else you know what I mean and I've never I was in charge basically of building the brand at Twitter and I never spoke ill of any other brand in fact I never mentioned any other brand I would always just try to say like social networks or Mm -hmm. search engines you know I just I didn't have anything bad to say about any anyone else and my theory was actually don't talk about anyone else talk People would ask me like, "Well, what is what? What about what Facebook's doing?" And the truth was, I don't know what they're doing or what they're thinking. Why, like, I have no idea what they're doing and what they're thinking. Why would you ask me? You should ask them. So I, right. I, I would just tell them the truth. Like, I don't know. Like, what you should ask them what they're doing. I, I'm talk. I know what we're doing. Uh huh. Especially when you ask Mark Zuckerberg whether the door should be left open or closed in a meeting, and he says yes. That was Abby said. Do you want me to open? The, <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to leave the door open or close, or should I close? He the door? calls you in. Well, set this, set it up a little bit. Well, what happened was, I went to work. I. It all started with a weird shirt. It all started because I was down to this one like white dress shirt. And I never wear white mm. dress shirts. And I put it on. And I felt awkward. And, and I was late. Because so, back then, when I, I was living in Berkeley, so I had to walk half an hour to the BART. And then the BART was 23 minutes to the Montgomery station. And then Montgomery to 164 South Park was another half-hour walk. So fi- finally got it's there. It's taking you like two hours to get to work from <sighs> yeah, Berkeley? Yeah, it took like an hour and a half because I was walking and uh. BARTing. And... Got, I got to work. I think we had just moved to our second office. And and uh, I got to work, and, and Jason Goldman said, Ev's waiting downstairs for you. Just get go down and get in his car. And I, I was like, why? And he said, just go. 
And I kept, I got, in, I got in the car and I was like, does this shirt look okay? I just, I felt so uncomfortable in the shirt. It was just all day long I was thinking about the shirt. Anyway, um, got in the car with Ev and uh, he had bought a Porsche because he got a lot of money from uh-huh. selling blogger to Google. And I got in his Porsche and we were speeding along and I was like, where are we going? Anyway, where are we going? And he said, we're going down to Palo Alto. And I said, oh, no, is today that thing that we said we were going to do the thing for the Google guys? And he's like, no. And I said, is it the thing where we're going to? Because I always talk too much. And he was like, will you be quiet so I can tell you? And I said, okay, where, where are we going? He said, we're going to talk to Mark Zuckerberg. And I was like, why are we going to talk to Mark Zuckerberg? And he said, because we are uh, going to talk about Facebook acquiring Twitter. And I said, we are? Since when is this? Since when is this a thing? Because I guess I was left out of the conversations. And is this like 2008? This, 2009? I think or it was 2008 mm-hmm. or 2009. I think it was 2008. I feel like it was 2008. And and I said we are. Do, what, I didn't know we were. Are we for sale? Are we selling our company? And Ev said, nah, I don't know. And I was like, Do you want to sell it? And he said, No. And I was then I was like, Well. What are we even doing? And why am I wearing this shirt? And I, and, I, and I said, well, so you don't want to sell the company? And he said, no. And, and I said, okay, well, I have an idea. And he said, what? what? And I said, uh, here, here's what we should do. What we'll do is to get out of this, since, we, since you already agreed to the meeting, we'll just make up a number that is so ludicrously out of anyone's range of pay. No one would ever pay this amount. We'll make up a number so high that they'll have to say no, and so we won't have to do it. And he was like, "Okay, well, what what number do you think?" And I and the biggest number I could possibly come up with in my the biggest number in my head that I could think of was five hundred million dollars. Uh-huh. I was like, "So he said five hundred million dollars," and we both burst into like 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 stomach muscle hurting laughter, like the kind of laughter where you're laughing so hard you're not making a sound. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> are you kidding me? Like. Us for five hundred million dollars, we like we can barely hold our shit together, and so I was like, that'll totally work. Like, there's no way we're, we're worth tops five million. Like, if you round up all the guys, and uh, and so we went down there, and it was a whole thing. We had to check in, get our name tags, and somebody brought us to Mark, and he told us we didn't need name tags, and we said, but yes, we do. They they told us we need name tags. And then he was showing us around. It was, it was a little awkward because he was like, do you want me to show you around? And we were like, okay. And they had all these offices all around uh-huh. different buildings in Palo Alto. So we were just walking around with name tags on, be, walking behind Mark Zuckerberg in Palo Alto and going to, we, he, we went into a building. He was like, this is one of our buildings. And it was a bunch of guys on computers. And, and and we were like, oh, cool. Before, like, the whole campus and the... Yeah. The- we were like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah. And it was just a bunch of guys on computers. And then he was like, do you want to see another one? And we were like, sure. And we went to another com- building. It was a bunch of guys on computers. And uh, <laughs> and then he was like, do you want, to see so- you want to see another building? And we were like, okay. And we were walking behind him, and I was looking at Ev like, what the hell are we doing? Like, what is... This is weird. Why, why are we doing this? And Ev was like, I don't know. 
And then we looked at it and we saw the third building and it was guys on computers and we were like, okay, that's good. I think I was, I think I said something like, that's, that's cool. We got the, we got the gist. And he was like, okay, well let's go in here. And he chose this weird non room. It was like super small room. It was, uh-huh. it was like a, I think it was meant for just making fo- just a phone call, except it had a love seat and a chair. And Mark went in first, and he sat in the chair, leaving the love seat for me and Ev to, like, snuggle in together on. And I went first and sat down on that. And then Ev... How's the shirt doing? I was just, like, pulling the shirt down. I, I felt weird. Is it, like, some weird... It wasn't Not a weird Avellian, like negotiating strategy that he would like put you in that room. That was like secret room. For, no, like I don't know. I don't know. But all I all I remember thinking was that it felt like there was twelve people inside of Mar- Mark's head. Like he was so smart, he had twelve brains. That's I. Mm. That's what I felt like when he talked. And I was making all these jokes and stuff, and like I felt like he was just like I'm waiting for the clown to finish talking so I can talk. So I stopped joking. But we went in. He sat in the chair. I sat in the love seat. Ev came in last. And he said, do you want me to close the door or leave the door open? And Mark just said, yes. And then Ev didn't know what that meant. So he said, I'll just close it this much. So he left it slightly open, which was even more awkward because I knew we were going to talk about sensitive stuff and there was people right out there so whatever anyway yes so he's like some sensei like it's like a zen cohen or something i don't know it was cryptic so then i was trying to make jokes that wasn't working at all and so then i just decided i would stop talking and when i stopped talking mark said we don't like i don't like to talk about numbers and ev said ev looked at me and he was like we don't like to talk about numbers either and then mark said but if you say a number I'll tell you yes or no. It was so weird. It's such a weird... This whole thing about acquisitions in Silicon Valley is this weird thing. Like, It's like middle school. It was mm-hmm. like a girl and a boy. Like, Do you like me? Because if you like me, I, I might like you. But do you like me like me? Because if right. you like me, I like you too. But only if you... You can't strike first. So he said, if you say a number, I can say yes or no. And then there was a long pause, and Ev looked at me, and he said, $500 million? And Mark said, that is a big number. And then I said, you said you'd say yes or no. And uh, Ev laughed, but nobody else did. And then he said, let's go to lunch. And we walked, and we stood, and there was this really long line for the lunch. And uh, we were just, he, Mark just turned his back on us, and we, wait, we, stood, we were waiting quietly. It was, and we were. Just, I was looking at Ev like, what, we, what should we do? <laughs> Are we just gonna wait here and like eat lunch and not talk about anything? Is he gonna say yes or no while we're with? Yeah, him? like what should we do? And uh, and so and then Ev tried to make a joke and said, Hey, aren't you the aren't you the boss? Can't you can't you uh, get us ahead <laughs> the in this line? line? And Mark took it as real and he said, That's not how we do things here. Uh-huh. And then turned back around. No sense of humor at and, all. Well, I'm sure he has his own sense of humor, but uh-huh. it, that, but it it didn't go over right, and <laughs> it was right. made it even weirder. And so then I was like, Ev, oh my gosh, I completely forgot we have that thing. You know, I did the old we have that thing trick, and Ev was like, Oh, you're right. My God, Mark, we're so sorry. We can't have lunch with you. We have we have a thing. And he was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So we left. And then we went to a coffee shop and we, we talked about how 
ethereal and strange that was and uh and how it had really no end to we didn't know what was next and then um i think it was that end of that day and mark said okay to the 500 million and we were like what it was at the like, end of the day? I think it was at the end of oh, that day. Oh, it was the same day? I didn't realize it that quickly. It was either the same day or the next morning, but I feel like it was like that evening. He's, and he, and Mar- Ev was like, uh, he said yes. And I was like, what? <laughs> and uh, I was like, my plan didn't... How could my plan not have worked? That was a ridiculous <laughs> yeah. number. And... Um, so at that at that point it was very very awkward and and, so and like, at that oh, point actually our, it was you our bad. Want, but you didn't want to sell. But then there had to be at least like all right, well hold on a second. Like should we? Well, I was kind of calculating how much money like, I would yeah, get. Yeah, like of course. How um, could you not? But at the same time, we we weren't like I didn't. I we were growing fast and we were having yeah. fun and everything was going good and we weren't like I didn't think we were gonna do that. Mm-hmm. I was I that wasn't in my. Uh, that just wasn't in my mind at all, and I didn't even know why. I, I guess someone else had started the conversation, and I hadn't been in on it. So it was like a meeting that Ev had to fulfill, and so I thought of a way out of it. But then that just got us deeper in, mm. and then at that point it was our bad. Like we we really dug a hole for ourselves. Um, yeah, because then you have to say because then you have to turn no. down this amazingly right. generous offer. So Ev wrote a really really respectful, nice note, and. Um, explaining how we we still felt felt like we were just getting started and we wanted to build a business out of it and stuff and um did that make and it mark mark stopped mark? wishing me happy birthday on my facebook uh, wall after that uh. um so yeah that i mean i also i've had to explain to the board like why we weren't gonna mm-hmm. sell the company for a ridiculous amount of money and stuff but that was that was a that was a big deal. Yeah, and I when mean, I went on the Howard Stern show, he couldn't he just couldn't get over the fact that we turned down that money. He was like he he spent like half an hour like just riding me about why we would turn that down. Right, didn't get it. But the current valuation of the company is in the oh, it was like I think it was billions like billions of dollars or something. What is it now? Oh, now now what is it? It's billions. Right? Oh yeah, it's worth billion. Yeah, and it was worth even more billions. Like. Right when we went public, I mean, right. it was several years it was worth ago, a lot of money. I mean, just to kind but of, but we weren't gonna. There was no way we'd know that, you know? right? Of at, at one point, Evans actually had said to me, um, "If we're worth a billion, then we're worth ten billion." And I was like, "I don't know what kind of math that is, but that it sounds mean? good to me." I don't know what it meant. <laughs> what is that logic? I had no idea what the logic was. But there clearly was a sense that that. You guys were were building, and you're having this moment. I mean, it's it is the I mean, is everything, the was, everything was it's happening. Like, the Arab yeah. Spring was happening. And Sully have, uh, Sullivan right. landed in the thing, and it was the first picture was from of a course. tweet, and it was and like you have Larry King and Ashton Kutcher, you know, yeah, that that had on television yeah. and the Oprah thing, and, and then like all the politicians were in on your, yeah, I and mean, the, and the first black president, you know, was it was all it was, Twitter was a whole thing I for. Mean, it just had to be an insane. It was time. crazy. It was it was a crazy. I'd like to describe it as a we were holding onto a the outside of a rocket ship with our fingernails. Uh-huh. You know, my only kind of point of reference for it other than just sort of watching it unfold from afar um is uh is the hatching twitter book nick belton's book and and i'm curious about your 
take on his take? Like, is how much of that resonates with you and how much of it misses the mark from your perspective? And like, what do people not know or not fully understand about what it was like to be there at that incredible time? It was super exciting. And actually, it was, uh, if, if there was ever a day where something crazy wasn't happening, uh, it felt like an off day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like every like day, every like oh, every day was like through the front door today. Yeah, every day was the was the most exciting day for another company, and that was every day at, at, at mm-hmm. Twitter. Something crazy happened every single day, and if something crazy didn't happen, I was like, "What's wrong? Something's wrong." That's it was that fun. You uh-huh. know what I mean? And um, and also since I like solving problems, there was a lot of problems. And so every single day there was some kind of enigmatic situation we had to get ourselves out of. And despite the kind of like executive shuffle that was going on, you were always kind of like the forward facing. Yeah, I I was the guy who had to explain why we were broken and what was happening Mm -hmm. and why this this leadership move was a good thing for the company. And um, Jason Goldman used to always uh, accuse me of spinning everything. And I was like, I'm just finding the positive side of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Twitter is not going to break exactly that way again. It's right. Like, it's going to break again, probably, but not that particular mm-hmm. exact way. Because now we know about that particular problem. So when you say, this will never happen again. I'm like, well, I know. I was, <laughs> I would, I was honest about it because, you know, there, it, it turns out there's, some, there's value and vulnerability, I think. That was one of, the, one of the things we did was we just, we built a brand a billion dollar brand way before we were worth that. We, um, and the foundation, like the original kind of structure upon which you built this thing wasn't meant to withstand that kind of attention. So it was almost like it was ill conceived from the, it was inevitable that you were going to have these problems. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we built Twitter on a programming language called Ruby on rails, which is like great for rapid prototyping, but not, um, wasn't meant to scale to a, a mm-hmm. huge amount of use. And we built that because that's what Jack was good at. And um, so the site went down a lot. It went but down. You were, you were always, the thing is, like, you were one of the first companies to be really kind of transparent about that. Yeah, we were, stuff. I was always explaining, like, we screwed up. Here's or, why yeah. we screwed up. And, you know, and people stuck with us. There was a lot of companies that came out that were, like, better than, they did the same thing and they worked better. Mm. But people were like, nah, I like Twitter. And I actually think that people complaining about Twitter being down so much. I talked to Steve Case. Um, uh-huh. I had him on the podcast. Oh, you did? Yeah. Uh, I wonder if he told you this. He, he, he came to Twitter in 2009 or something. And he, and he told us in the early days of AOL when there was so much heavy usage that they had to kick people off. Uh, and people would complain like crazy, like, oh, my, hey, I can't believe I, I can't get online. I can't get mm-hmm. on AOL. And, and he, sa- he said to a certain degree, their uh, strong visceral, visceral reaction to the fact that they couldn't use AOL, like as if the electricity went out or, the, or there's no more running water, 
made other people think like, well, what is this thing that you mm. that you you love it so much? You get so angry when it's mm-hmm. broken, and yeah. and and that I think some to some extent that helped us. Like people people would turn to their blog and be like, Twitter is broken. I can't believe it. It sucks. I'm right, it's terrible that it's of, down. And like, other people so are like, what? You're like, why do you care so? Yeah, much? Yeah, like why do you care so much? It must be a thing. And you know, people would use. It was just it was weird. People would use. A lot of people were critics. Like, of course, mm. Twitter was stupid. It was useless. It was dumb. And they would say that over and over and over again. Clearly, clearly, they had they needed a place to express their thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like a perfect example of you should use Twitter for that. Like, and I feel like it's the first. It was a, it was the first broad platform that became what the people wanted it to become. Like you created this scaffolding, this architecture that allowed people to kind of, you know, cultivate their own purpose around it, right? Yeah. So there's a, there was, like from what I gather, there's kind of internal discussions and disagreements about, um, you know, what it was going to be about. Like, is it about status updates? Is it about like the news and what's going on in yeah. the world and like that kind of t- I always thought it, I always thought it was a news thing. The world was sort of like, well, we'll decide that. And of course it's both. And now we're seeing with this evolution, how much it really is becoming like a source of information beyond yeah. just personal, you know, updates. I was calling it, I basically called it, I call it the Bloomberg terminal for the world. And I, um, Jack and I, when Jack was CEO in the very beginning, um, we went to New York and we had various meetings. And one of the meetings we had set up that I had set up was with Reuters. And um, we went to Reuters and we were in a room with a couple of guys. One guy was, I think his title was Head of the Americas. And I was like, that's a cool title. (laughs) You're Head of the Americas? And, um, and I said, I said to the guy, I said, um, how would you guys like to have a, um, seven day a week, 24 hour a day, constant stream of what's happening everywhere in the world delivered to you in real time? And the guy stood up and he said, hold on, let me get some more guys in here. And, and he filled the room with a team of like chief scientist mm. guy and all these other guys, tech, technology guys. And Jack was like, we don't have that. <laughs> and I was like, well, but you can make that, right? Anyway, um, <laughs> and my idea was, I said, I have an idea. I said, this is, we have basically news coming in from all around the world at all, all times. And, and how about this? How about if, how about we, we figure something out? We write something that, 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 recognizes if three different people who aren't following each other, therefore we assume that they don't know each other, each are reporting on something that's the same thing, like explosion in Midtown, then it's probably a thing. And if you follow up on it and it turns out to be a thing and you write a, and Reuters writes a story, you credit Twitter Reuters. Mm. And they were like, yeah, that sounds like a whole, that sounds great. And I was like, yeah, it's great. Twitter's in like a global news feed. And, and then we left and, um, around that same time, we were way too under fire to even do anything. And, um, Reuters was acquired by Thompson. So the whole thing never happened. Um, but 
it was it really was but the foreshadowing of what it would ultimately I, yeah and into. and we never really came out and specifically said anything about what it was which was our fault which was our bad and our good I mean, people called it microblogging, which was like uh, right. It was always that was that super nerdy. We didn't like that name because it sounded exact, so yeah. anti. How do you describe commercial. it though? I yeah. mean, every single person, you know, average person has that. Like, what is this? Like, the first tweets are always like, "Okay, I'm trying to figure this out." Like, right. You know what the fuck is going on? Right. Here exactly. And, all that. and nobody knew. And um, even internally, if you asked Twitter, even probably even today, like, what what is Twitter? Everyone's going to say something different. But right. But now you can be on Twitter. Now it it's used about to be live. like if you're you're lurking if you're there and you're not tweeting, but now it's like yeah, you can just go and you can. Well, read I used to tell people you don't you know like you you don't have to know how to code to look at the internet. You don't have to have a Twitter account to use Twitter. You see, and also you see tweets on the news all the time. You see it. it you there's hashtags. Well, now in, I mean and, now that that's ads. all the vernacular of how we live our lives. Yeah, but you know it's, it's a normal now. thing now. Yeah, but. Um, Anyway, we only have a few minutes here, so before before I got to let you go, so I want to I want to shift gears a little bit sure. and, and talk a little bit about kind of you know going back to your optimistic vision for you know the future, which sounds a thousand really years from now and all I that. mean, it's people roll their hey, eyes I'm, like, I'm give hippie. me a like, break. I'm down with it. It's good to hold. Like, what is your life about? Like, what are you standing for? Yeah, that's you know what a, I mean. And you're in exactly. a position where you can actually make some shit happen, right? So, so what does or, that look like yeah. for you? And what are you going to do with that privilege? Right, right? make and a little so, bit of may, try to make something good happen. Yeah, and so like, I that's but when Ben and I started Jelly, we were like, look, we're 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 trying to build this giant machine that helps people help each other, even if it doesn't work. You can't say that it wasn't worth a try. Like, you know, even if it doesn't, we're not going to be sorry we didn't try to do that. And I like the idea that, that there's this kernel beneath it, which is that, like, people like helping other people. They and love it. They feel good when they do it. They and do. So this is like, you know, like a consciousness raising thing on some yeah. level. You can make that argument. And I think that that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, because, look, you know, you could just sail off into the sunset and become a professional dilettante, right? You don't have to be doing anything. I don't you, know how you, good you I'd have, be at that. You have choices. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you have that choice available to you. Yeah. <laughs> you have choices about how to use your time and how you, know, yeah. you want to invest yourself, right? My so, wife and I decided we wanted to live in a normal little house in a normal neighborhood and raise our boy, like, not uh -huh. thinking that he was mega rich. You know, yeah. I don't. I mean, I was, like I said, I was born in Boston, raised on welfare, and now I have, like, this rich kid, you know what I mean? And I have to actually teach him what, that, you know, you have to have a job so you can earn money, so you can pay for a house and a car and all this other stuff. Right. Well, that's good, man. I mean, that speaks to core values, right? Yeah. And, and, and that kind of infuses these other things that you do, you know, outside of Jelly with, uh, you know, I know you're very involved in philanthropy and you've made some, you know, investments in some pretty interesting companies like, uh, you know, our friend Ethan's company, yep. Beyond Meat. I have know, a, I have an accidentally fantastic portfolio. I'm not an investor yeah. and my portfolio. Well, you're, not, you're on the board of Beyond Meat though, aren't you? Yeah. You are. Yeah. But I was an advisor before as a company and then it turned into a company and then me and Ev formed a little investment company, uh -huh. and we were the first money in, along with... Uh, at Beyond Meat. Yeah, at Beyond Meat. And then we... Um, and now, and then, so I'm on the board, so... Right. It's uh, cool. And, and also, you're involved with Farm Sanctuary. Yeah, we've been, yeah. We've, been, we've been supporting Farm Sanctuary for, like, right. 
15 or 16 years. Gene's a fantastic guy. Amazing dude. He's He's one. They're one of our favorites. Donors Choose is one of our favorites. Uh Um, I mean, these are these are they're our favorites because they really get stuff done. They know how to. They know. They really know how to do what they're doing. There are. There's a lot of nonprofits, which I don't like the name. I nothing should be named non first. Mm -hmm. Like. Hey, I'm a non-wife beater. <laughs> um, yeah, but the uh, well, charity is probably. But they're really good you know, at it. Donors, donors choose, and uh, you know, charity. What what Scott Harrison has done with charity water to like kind of reimagine and re, like like innovate and iterate out of the current model of right. giving is I think is really and the rise of the B Corp is interesting mm-hmm. too. The idea that you part of the value generated is philanthropic. And so that you, you don't know? have to explain to shareholders if you were to go public, this is why we're giving 10% of our profits to charity. It's just, it's defined, yeah. it's in the bylaws. Well, con- we have yeah, to. The, the conscious capitalism movement. Yeah. And that's just become, I think that's just the future. Doing good business. I think and, that's going to be the future. Well, I think it comes with the transparency that we've all now expect, you know, with the companies that we patronize. Yeah. Like, and just ja- have to be exactly. clear about what Not, doing. I mean, people like you and I who are kind of hippy dippy, but. More than that, like Generation Z, they come to expect that the products and services that they choose, they know everything, right. literally down to what like, the CEO ate for breakfast. Yeah, what do you mean you're not going to tell me where these materials came from right. or what you're doing? And they, know, like, they want to know that if they're choosing between two sugar waters, which one is the one that also mm-hmm. provides clean water to, you know, wherever. And Do you know... Uh, do you know this uh, professor at Oxford called William McCaskill, who wrote a book, who's all about effective altruism? I should know a, him. He's a protege of like Peter Singer, and he wrote a book called How to Do Good Better. I think that's the exact title. Oh, that's I a cool name. Po- yeah, I had him on the podcast, and he's done. He's like the youngest tenured philosophy professor at Oxford, uh, and he's got all kinds of crazy, amazing ideas about how to improve this world of giving. Um, and should. he analyzes it and kind of breaks it down, but that's. I, a, I'm a, you check out that. Book. I'm a fellow at Oxford, so oh, I should. Are. I don't know why yeah. I don't know him. I should what know. What does him. that mean when you're a fellow? It means you get a special scroll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like a papyrus scroll. You get a scroll, <laughs> and you. Well, in my case, I go every year and I, I do three or four lectures. Uh huh. And I'm allowed that's to. Cool. And I'm allowed to. Um, you, stu- you studied there. No, I know. Oh, you didn't? No, 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 no. I don't think they would have had me. They Uh, wouldn't have had me. Um, I studied at UMass and Northeastern, but I didn't uh, like, I didn't really even study. Right. I was not really loving those. I've seen, you know, Oxford associated with your name, so I thought at some point maybe you went back to school there for a while. No, I was a fellow. First, I was an associate fellow at the, the business school, and then I became a fellow of all almost 40 colleges uh-huh. and i i'm also affiliated with the, a particular aside from the business school the saeed school of business mm. uh i'm also affiliated with exeter college at oxford um so that's where tokeen studied and um Anyway, I just love it. I've come to. I've been going there for eleven years, and I, it's like I've become an anglophile. I just, it's really fun. Yeah, you go there in the summertime. It's like it makes me feel like I, I'm a. Um, yeah, I go in June, and and it makes me. It, it's just like, since I never graduated college, I feel like ac- very academic. Right. Like, I'm, a, I'm a fellow. Fancy degrees and everything. Yeah. Now. 
Um, all right, I got to let you go in a minute, but I can't, uh, I can't let you walk out of here without like, you know, you know, final question or sort of just what's on my mind is, uh, you know, what is it like when you, when you talk to people about what you're doing and, you know, what Twitter, you know, is and was and, and kind of how people perceive you in the world and what you do, like, what are they missing or, or what do they get wrong? You know, what do you tell your friends? Like, don't, I wish people just understood this about like what it's really like to do what I do and to have gone through what I've gone through. Um, I don't, well, I don't really know what people are thinking. So I just, what you see in the news or like how the narrative is spun about, you know, Twitter and, and being a, being a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, like with this, you know, ascension of the entrepreneur's rock star and what that lifestyle looks like. And I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that this is all very, very strange and weird and it's not like a real life thing at all. I mean, you, where else can you go and say, I would like $10 million to try to make a company. And if it doesn't work, I'll just say, oh, well, and I don't have to give back the money. And, uh, and I'll just try something else. Like, what world are we living in where that can happen? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, so that's weird. Um, when, you know, when I talk to, like, my regular friends from Boston, it's just like, you can do that. How can you do that? I, I can't right. even get a loan for a thousand bucks in the bank. How can you just get like ten million dollars to do with whatever you want with? Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so that's strange. But um, I don't know. I, I'm not. I, I'm not really sure what uh, you know. The, um, the like I mean, the whole idea really is to just is to try to build something that's of value and if you can build something that's of value to people then you can build a business out of it mm-hmm. but the whole idea of this silicon valley these trying to make these giant leaps from going from zero to hundreds of millions of happy customers is like you know a super low chance of happening but if if you can create value there then you can then you can create a business and hopefully the kind of business that you're trying to make is something that can have some kind of positive impact on the world at the same time. That's the, that's the kind of trifecta is to, is to change the definition of capitalism such that it means you are uh, making money, you love your job, and you're having a positive impact in the world. And that would be great if that was the definition for capitalism, like, everywhere and i think part of part of unpacking what that means to love your job is to be emotionally connected to yeah the, the, that's what the i always say emotionally setting. invested like, if, if you're just like this is a great idea and it solves a problem but you don't care like uh, didn't you, you have that kind of moment of yeah like, odio right like yeah we want to be the kings of yep. podcasting like what does that mean to yeah even like? i said to ev i said look you wrote a great plan of how we can slim down and make this a success but even if we're super successful is that what you want to be? Super successful at this, and and he put his head in his hands, because he knew I was right. And so you have. That's what I tell people when I talk to students at this business school and stuff. Is you really have to be emotionally invested in what you do, because if you're emotionally invested, like we were with Twitter, all the criticism just rolls off your back. Like mm-hmm. um, some, you know, even when they try to 
people try to bring you down like i literally didn't hear it and someone 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 tried to criticize twitter by saying that twitter was the seinfeld of the internet a website about nothing and i was like oh my god seinfeld's a hit show this guy loves us we should put this on the front page as a testimonial (laughs) and everyone's like you do know that he's insulting you right i was like Uh no he's not seinfeld's huge so it's just when you're emotionally invested you're just all in yeah that's a good place to end it man all right, cool. Thanks so much for doing it. No, no, thanks for I thanks for doing it, man. This is great. So uh, podcasting is finally. Coming, I know it's, had its, it's day. all from the audio thing. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to be the king of podcasting? Maybe you still can. No, you know? now podcasting kings are distributed. That's true, right? It it's definitely all. it definitely is. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate your time. Sure and, thing. Uh, Askjelly.com. If you're digging on biz, yeah, askjelly.com. Actually, askjelly.com forward slash rich roll. Yeah, and you get free answers. You get free answers to any question in the world. So I think what we should do is end the podcast by turning Alexa back on and asking her, should we ask her like how the podcast went? What can we ask her? We could get a good answer about the experience that we just had. Who is rich roll? Sorry, I can't find the answer to the question I had. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh well, she doesn't know you. Oh well. A couple more podcasts. Coming soon, right? <laughs> Thank you. Oh my God, how cool was that? Super duper cool. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you guys did too. Uh, please make a point of checking out Biz's new app, Jelly. Again, you can do that by going to askjelly.com forward slash rich roll. Uh, you can download the iOS app or just add hashtag askjelly to your Twitter questions and play around with it. Let me know what you think. Uh, by the way, this is not a sponsored thing. They just set up a cool dedicated URL in my name. That's all. Uh, as always, please check out the show notes on the episode page for this episode. We've got tons of links and resources to take your infotainment, your education beyond the earbuds. Uh, we put a lot of time into those show notes, and they're really great. So it's worth your time and effort. Uh, thank you to everybody who has shared the show with their friends and on social media, uh, around the water cooler, with your colleagues, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and thank you for subscribing to the show. Again, if you haven't done that already, please do that. It's the one thing that you can do that would really help us out the most. And if you have an extra minute or two, leave a review on iTunes. That also is very uh, beneficial to uh, the show and the visibility of the show. Uh, mad love to everybody who has made a habit of using the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. It doesn't cost you a cent extra. And also, huge shout out to everybody who has gone the extra mile to support the show on Patreon. You can find the banner ads for Amazon and Patreon on any episode page on my website. Uh, if you guys would be interested in getting a weekly email blast from me, a free short uh, weekly sort of rundown of, I don't know, five or six tools, resources, documentaries, books I'm enjoying, articles I've come across that I found interesting, uh, products, Kickstarters, basically just things I've enjoyed, things that have inspired me or that I found useful. Uh, I'm never going to spam you. It's just for free. I've been doing this 14 weeks now, I think at this point, and I don't share this information on my blog. So if you want in on it, just subscribe. You can do that by entering your email in multiple places all across my website. Uh, It's really fun. I've been enjoying it and people seem to be responding to it favorably uh, and enjoying it uh, as well. Uh, Big love to Jason Camiello for his audio engineering and production on today's show. Uh, Sean Patterson for help on graphics, Chris Swan for production assistance and help with compiling all the show notes and theme music by Analemma.
final thought, you guys. Again, what's really interesting to me about Biz is that he is an artist, that everything he has created and built is through the lens of creative expression. But I think we're all artists. Everyone is creative. So my question or my call to action is, how can you enhance or leverage your form of creative expression in your professional career to perhaps rethink or think outside the box of what is expected of you or what is considered normal to create a multiplier on your output or alternatively outside your career or your job, how to prioritize creative expression in other areas of your life to better contribute to others, to make space for more meaning in your life. So put that in your pipe and smoke it and I'll see you guys here next week. Peace. Plants. Yeah.